The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. How is everybody? Well, lots happening, lots happening. I mean, the uh, the uh, Democrats' uh, debate that occurred on Tuesday was entertaining at best. <laughs> I just couldn't stop giggling. I mean, um, it, it was just... It was like a three-ring circus, and you know, I it, it's it it gets it goes from the bizarre uh, to the to the uh, to the ridiculous. It is just so out of control the uh, comments that they make. But what's really interesting to me is how Bernie Sanders is continually coming out more and more to the left, and more and more openly socialist. Uh, I would say anti-American, but yeah, you know, that's just me. Uh, and and the others, they just seem to go along with him. They attack him, they criticize him, but they don't uh, debate his policies. Or maybe you know they do in some very very minute ways, uh, like they debate this whole thing of uh, Medicare for all. At least they're beginning to question him on that. Uh, but uh, rarely do they challenge him on his socialist ideas. I mean, he is. It's fun to watch. It is just. I am not sure exactly how the heck they really, really intend to um, to win this election. But, you know, um, they could steal it. Oh, now there's an idea. Gosh, that would be that would be different, wouldn't it, for Democrats? Uh, at any rate, um, let me tell you about today's show. Uh, we've got um, three great ho- three great guests, should I say. First of all, we've got uh, Miss Elizabeth Hernandez, who is the president of the Young Republicans at UTSA. Uh, she's going to be talking to us about uh, her experiences on campus uh, of being a conservative and being a Republican. And uh, let me tell you, being those things on a college campus nowadays is um, is really, uh, well, I'll say it, I'll say it, in some cases it's dangerous. And on top of that, being a Hispanic girl, a Hispanic woman, a Hispanic young lady, uh, I'm trying to be as politically correct as possible, she um she faces a lot a lot of uh pushback a lot of a lot of criticism so uh Li- elizabeth uh, amy Hernandez this is going to be chatting with us in a little bit we also and i had to, I, I really given given the comments that bernie sanders has made lately about castro i mean he's doubled down about how wonderful cuba is i had to reach out to my good buddy uh silvio canto who is um who is of cuban descent he lives in Dallas. He's a fellow blogger. I wanted him to talk to us uh, about, um, you know, his his thoughts about on hearing Bernie Sanders's comments. Uh, you know that, uh, it, that particularly this whole ridiculousness of how wonderful it is that uh, the literacy rate went up in uh, in uh, Cuba after Castro took over. He forgets or he doesn't mention that the literacy rate was actually a re-education program. That's what it was, a re-education program. What they did was they taught people to read, but it was an indoctrination. That's what it was. So, uh, you know, that's a minor detail that they are, that, that uh, Bernie ignores. So uh, Silvio's going to talk to us about um, his feelings, you know, his thoughts uh, and what his family experienced uh, in, in leaving Cuba, thanks to Fidel Castro. Also, uh, we have uh, Mr. Dan Lyman. Dan is uh, our buddy who does the, uh, he works for InfoWars in Europe. He is a reporter for InfoWars. And Dan is going to chat with us, give us an update about what's going on with immigration in Europe. We have a lot. We in the United States have a lot to learn, my friends, a lot to learn from what's happening in Europe. Uh, both the positive and the negative. Uh, you know, Dan uh, talks to us, uh, is going to tell us about uh, parts of Europe who uh, continue to be, you know, very, very open to immigration or migration, as they call it. 
very, very open to it because, uh, well, that's, you know, that's their sense of uh, overcoming the guilt of being Europeans and whites. Uh, so they've opened up the gates and, you know, we've got uh, tons of folks from the Middle East and Africa coming into their into their country and changing it and changing their nations. You've got other European nations that have buckled down and said no uh, and closed their borders. Uh, Hungary being one of those. And uh, so he's going to chat with us and tell us about give us an update of what's going on, because uh, it's very, very interesting how. The uh, United Nations and George Soros are working hand in hand, hand in hand, in uh, encouraging, encouraging this uh, this migration, this social change in Europe and uh, the resistance that's uh, finally being given by some of the some of the nations um, uh, to this invasion, to this invasion. So Dan Lyman is going to be talking to us about that. Uh, but um, let me give you some quick um some quick uh, news updates because there's there's some really really important stuff that happened over this past weekend or over this past week rather. Um, first of all, the federal appeals court uh, ruled in favor of the Trump administration and ruled that the Department of Justice can, yes, indeed, can punish sanctuary cities. It was a tremendous victory for the for for the uh, Trump administration and for uh, immigration law enforcement. We've been talking a lot on this show. Uh, about uh, the need to crack down on these communities. Well, here it is. Last Wednesday on February 26th, the Justice Department ruled, uh, or should I say the court ruled that the Justice Department has the the power uh, to withhold federal grants and money from sanctuary communities. Those that refuse to share information and refuse to cooperate with ICE, they can be penalized. That means places like New York State and California are going to be targeted, my friends. They're going to be targeted. And, of course, you know, they're screaming and yelling already from the, um, from the left that uh, this, is, uh, this is a violation of state rights. I love it when leftists. I love it when leftists and liberals scream about state rights. <laughs> it, it, is, uh, it, it is so ironic. But that's what they're screaming about, um, you know, which is also very, very interesting. Because at the same time, the ACLU has started uh, filing lawsuits against sheriffs and jurisdictions that they declare themselves uh, Second Amendment sanctuaries as well as um, sanctuaries for the unborn. That, at the same time, while uh, the the federal government is uh, now going to be cracking down on immigration, uh, on illegal alien sanctuaries. I mean, mean, the world is upside down. These leftists are so crazy. So uh, at any rate, that's going to be, I mean, this is going to have major repercussions, my friends. I think here in San Antonio, speaking from San Antonio and probably several other communities across the nation like Austin and Houston and a few others, um, where the city council has given money to either defend illegal aliens from uh, from uh, to provide them some type of funding for legal assistance. uh, I I think that that uh, that's going to go by the wayside, too. That can be challenged. Uh, never mind also where, uh, you know, you've got uh, uh, mayors that have told the city, the, the uh, city police departments to back down and not cooperate. That obviously is going to is going to be challenged and uh, they're going to uh, be in trouble with that. But, um, you know, it, it, what's very, very interesting with this whole thing is that the same people, uh, the same Democrats that, that uh, screamed during the Obama, Obama administration to stop federal funding of schools and school districts where, um Whenever their their directives, the Obama directives on same sex uh, bathrooms were ignored, uh, are now screaming and yelling about um, uh, that they have the power to uh, that local power rests with uh, these politicians that don't want to uh, obey uh, immigration laws. So, it, it, you know, but now they're going to have to now they're going to have to liberal politicians, community leaders and the news media, my friends, are going to continue to resist. But uh, at least this ruling helps to clear the air that sanctu- about the sanctuary issue. Uh, you know, again, I just don't understand what the word, what, what part of the word illegal they, these folks can't understand. Then uh, let me talk to you real quick about um, a, a comment that Bernie made on Tuesday. Very, very interesting. Uh, uh, Bernie made this comment during the, um, during the, the debate. And he says, let me quote it to you. Let me, let me read it to you. He said, 
And I'll tell you what else we're going to do, okay? We're going to provide help to African-American, Latino, and Native American communities to start businesses to sell legal marijuana rather than let a few corporations control legalized marijuana and market, the marijuana market. Now, when he said that, my interpretation immediately was if the minorities are going to sell drugs and buy drugs, then let them buy and sell legal drugs. This was not, this was not in complimentary, complimentary comment, my friends. On the contrary, I was shocked and angered because I thought that it was a very, very racist comment and that the media, particularly the CBS moderators, didn't call him on it. The Democrats have always had the soft racist view of minorities in America nowadays. I mean, you know, it used to be a very hard view, uh, like the Ku Klux Klan, but now, I mean, this is now it's a very soft uh, racism that they accept and do. Well, I got news for you, my friends. Minorities need more than uh, the legal right to sell drugs. They need more than that. They need they need uh, to be lifted up. They need to be allowed to lift themselves up. Uh, you know, these minority leaders should denounce Sanders for this because it, it is a situation, my friends, where the expectation, the level of expectation uh, of the minority communities is so low that apparently Bernie feels that that's the best thing that they can do. You know, uh, when you treat people as they are, they will remain. That's the way they're going to remain and they're not going to progress. When you treat them with higher expectations, when you, as if they are and could obtain big things and be, become better people, then their standards of achievement and life will expand and grow. Unfortunately, that's not the case. That's not the case that is happening here. This is really, really tragic. And I, you know, I, in my opinion, it's just flat racist by Bernie Sanders and the Democrats that they lower the expectations of minorities. They do. Rather than raising them, they lower them. Because, obviously, that's the best. That, you know, I mean, the, the minorities can't do anything, anything better than sell drugs. So let's let them sell legal drugs. Incredible. I was just mortified, shocked, and disgusted that they would let them get away with that. I, it, it just, it, 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 it infuriates me that the fake news doesn't call them out. I mean, if President Trump had said something like that, they'd jump all over him. When Romney was running, remember Romney made, uh, you know, a couple of comments <coughs> uh, about uh, minorities and women that, that, that the media just went crazy over. You know, they went crazy over him putting his dog on the, uh, on the roof of his car for crying out loud. But Bernie is allowed to get away with this kind of good stuff. Uh, disgusting. Well, my folks, okay. We're going to go to our, uh, we're going to take a quick little break, and then uh, we're going to go to uh, our first uh, uh, our first interview with uh, Liz Hernandez, the president of the Young Republicans. And then uh, after that, uh, we'll hear from uh, Silvio, and then uh, Dan Lyman will conclude our program. So, my friends, please call uh, your buddies. Join, thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope that uh, you'll uh, continue to support our program. I hope that you will listen to our podcasts. Uh, and um, I hope that you will tell folks about our program so that um, we can spread the word. So uh, let's go to our, first, uh, to our first interview. Once again, my friends, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. 
You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio. The answer, and we've got uh, a guest with us today. This is her first time, and I hope it's not her last. But uh, we've got uh, Miss Elizabeth Amy Hernandez, who is, and I want to make sure I get this right, uh, Amy, the, uh, is she is president uh, of the uh, Young College Republicans at uh, Incarnate Word College here in San Antonio, as well as vice president of Bear County uh, College Republicans. Uh, correct? Did I get that correct? Uh, yeah, it's the, yeah the, the vice president of uh, Young Republicans of Bear County. Gotcha. Vice president of Bear County. Gotcha. All righty. So I wanted to get her on because uh, we've been reading a lot about uh, the challenges that uh, young people uh, face uh, in being uh, Republicans on uh, college campuses. And uh, I certainly wanted to find out about how it is here in uh, San Antonio, where we're supposed to be so red here in South, in Texas. So uh, tell us, what's it like to be a Republican, a college Republican, on a campus nowadays? Uh, tell us a little, a little bit about your experience. Yeah, so being a college Republican on campus, despite being in Texas, which is supposed to be a red state, um, I mean, there's some real issues that the future leaders of the GOP are, are going through. Our organization, you know, in itself, we've had serious issues with administration. We've had battles with, with our university. Um, we've been suspended for really silly things. But as a student, just as a student, that you know, things that me and, you know, the, the members of my organization go through, um, you know, one, one of the first things is that, you know, some professors canceled class, they cut class short, and they actually cried during class the day after Donald Trump won the 2016 election, um, after, you know, Donald Trump was sworn into office, English, you know, some classes, you know, they switched their prompts, and, and they were about fascism and bigotry and sexism and racism, and it was just very weird considering the topics and, you know, the timing um, for me, and this is something that, you know, me and some friends personally went through during advising periods when we had to talk about signing up for classes and registering for classes. Some of our advisors would sometimes bring up political issues. For me, it was that it had to do with Trump, how Trump had children in cages, and, and I was wondering how that had anything to do with registering for classes. Uh, one of my friend's professors told her in front of the entire class that she would vote for a rock before she would ever considering, you know, ever consider voting, you know, voting for a Republican. Um, in my case, a lot of professors would hand out flyers for special guest speakers that were advocates for the socialist, globalist, pro-abortion, and pro-open borders agenda, and they would give you extra credit if you attended. Um, and then uh, if you walk, even if, you know, you don't have to be a student, if you just walk into UIW and, and you walk the hallways and you see the professor's doors, they're covered in left-wing propaganda, like, you know, safe space stickers or gun-free zone or hate, no hate zone or, you know, just stuff like that. And, um, you know, some of the professors would purposefully aim to attack any Republican and conservative students in their class. You know, they would say things like, I don't know how anyone with a heart or anyone with a brain can support or vote for that man. That man, you know, not President Trump, it's that man. And it's really hard for some people, you know, to brush that stuff off when you really respect your, your professor. You know, you take it to heart and, and you know, it's just, it goes on and it, it's stuff like in and, and religious classes too, it's crazy. They, they would talk about how some of the prophets align with Bernie Sanders or, you know, Bloomberg or Hillary Clinton, and, you know, one of my professors in one of a religion class that I took, he even asked the class, he said, who do you think, who do you think this prophet would have, or who do you think the Virgin Mary would have voted? Probably Hillary Clinton, right? And, and it was just crazy to think that, you know, despite you're in a Catholic university and, and you're in a red state, you have professors asking you stuff like that. So it, it's been pretty difficult. That's amazing. Now, you being a Hispanic woman, a Latina woman, or whatever is popular to, to, call, to call us nowadays... Um, do you face any kind of special, 
uh, singling out by uh, by folks because, oh my gosh, you're a Republican. Oh yeah, oh yeah, all the time. Honestly, when 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 my organization was, you know, there was rumors about a Republican organization being being founded at UIW because there had never been one in 129 years. You know, there was actually some students in the hallways because they, you know, they would see our flyers. We we would always completely fill the entire campus with flyers, and people would say, "Man, I bet it's some white guy. It's some rich white guy, you know, that's a business major." And you know, when it came out, and you know, we were on the newspaper, the campus newspaper, and they saw my face. I mean, people were shocked they were like it's a it's a a mexican girl what how is this possible and you know people never really expected me to do it and and (laughs) it's 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 very difficult because sometimes you know um some people will say well you know aren't you voting against yourself or you know aren't you being racist against yourself you know this man doesn't love you right that man right that man not president trump that man he doesn't care about us he doesn't care about our kind but you know, it, it, so it's, I think it's a little tougher for me because I have a little bit more to talk about and because it's always about race, unfortunately, with, with the Democrats and, and with, you know, people that are all about the left wing. They always make it about race. And, you know, I, I always tell people, and I told my professors before, I really love being a Hispanic person, being told by a white person why I'm oppressed. Um, because it, it's typically always my white professors that tell me, you know, but you're a Hispanic, Amy, you know, like, Shouldn't, shouldn't you feel this way? And I'm like, you know, please tell me how I'm oppressed. Please, you as a white person, tell me how <laughs> me, you know, a, a Latino, I'm, I'm oppressed. You know, and, and so it, it has been very difficult. But, I mean, it's fun. It's fun. I totally live for it. That's funny. That's funny. I, you know, it's, uh, I, I face a similar situation in uh, being called a, uh, a white supremacist by a, a, a white uh, uh, person one time. So, you know, I, I can fully identify. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh, regarding your grading, uh, when you are in a class and uh, for whatever reason, either voluntarily or, uh, you know, by accident or whatever, uh, people, the professor finds out that um, that you are a Republican. Have you or any of your uh, college Republicans faced any kind of backlash from a uh, from a, uh, a professor in academics? I mean, in, in, in your uh, in your grades or work studies? Um, I'll tell you, I, I want to say me personally, I haven't because I've gone, I've gone about it in a very sneaky manner. I've, I've tried, um, you know, in terms of certain classes like English or, or like a religion course, I always try to just support my claim, which is typically a conservative, you know, conservative view with a lot of evidence. And it's really hard for professors to say, oh, well, you know, you know, you don't have a lot to support your claim. So that's kind of what I focus on. And I try to be very objective a bit about it. But I will tell you that, you know, we had, even though we had over 60 members in our organization at UIW College Republicans, um, we only had 10 or 15 people show up to our meetings because a lot of them were terrified of being seen with us. They were terrified of, of being affiliated with us. And, you know, they would, they would call us and tell us, you know, hey, I don't mind paying the dues. I don't mind being, you know, on, on your roster. But I don't, I don't want to take the risk of, of being seen at your meeting and then my advisor or my professor seeing, you know, seeing me. And, and I have heard multiple times of, of, of some of my members that um, they wanted to talk about, you know, being pro-life or being pro-gun. And immediately, I, I don't know if their grades were affected, but I definitely know that their proposals were shut down by professors. No, you cannot talk about being pro-life. No, you cannot talk about being pro-gun. No, you cannot talk about being pro-capitalist. And I know that sounds so extreme, but that is very, very much the case. I think it actually in one of my situations i did have a professor tell me that that i couldn't talk about uh, capitalism in a not in a positive way but he kind of was like mm, you know maybe you need to do more research on that and <laughs> i was like okay um and you know i ended up like i said supporting it with a lot of evidence but i definitely have i know for a fact that some kids uh have suffered academically because of their political views wow that's amazing amy tell the folks how they can support uh Young, young young Republicans, uh, young college Republicans here in San Antonio and across the state. What can we do to support you guys? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's vital that, you know, people understand and realize how important it is that you guys continue to support college and young Republican groups. Um, you know, because why our groups are full of college students and graduate students, and they need your push and your support. So literally, first things first, literally just sending us a text or a message on Facebook just to check up on us makes our day, and I'm being so serious. Um, 
more importantly, it would be attending our events, you know, because I know it says college Republicans and young Republicans, but everyone is always welcome. And we love having, you know, our little cheerleaders and um, regardless of what age you are, sharing our posts and our events on Facebook and social media, bring awareness of our activity. That is like super important. But most of, you know, most importantly, and this is very obvious, donations always go a long, long way. Republicans, uh, college Republicans and young Republicans, they don't get any funding from their federations. And so giving donations to the clubs, like they're so great because college Republicans will use their funds to reach other students on campus. Young Republicans, such as like the one here in Bear County, we do outreach all over the city right now. We have an initiative um, that's engaging and reaching young minority voters in the south side and in the west side of San Antonio. We're starting a podcast, and you know, a newsletter. All of that takes money. But whether it be a share on Facebook or a like on Facebook or a check for $5, we appreciate it all. Um, we're grateful that we have people like you that are bringing awareness to our situation. Um, but literally just liking us on Facebook, is just it means the world to us. Wow. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. We've been talking with uh, Elizabeth Amy Hernandez. Uh, with the uh, college Republicans and the young college Republicans here in Bear County and at uh, Incarnate Word College. And uh, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP, 9.30 a.m. radio, The Answer. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP, 9.30 a.m. radio. And we've got uh, our very good friend, my very good friend, uh, Silvio Canto from uh, Dallas, fellow blogger, fellow uh, podcaster. And uh, I wanted to reach out to uh, to Silvio because uh, he is uh, a Cuban-American. He uh, and his family came to the United States uh, fleeing Castro's Cuba, and I wanted to reach out to him because it's been very disconcerting for a lot of folks, including today, tonight, uh, or during the debate, during the Tuesday uh, South Carolina debate, to hear Bernie Sanders defend uh, Castro. Uh, specifically, earlier uh, in the week, he made the comment that uh, uh, Cuba uh, had made a lot of progress in literacy, that they had a tremendous literacy program that had helped Cubans uh, to learn to read. Uh, he ignored what they were reading, I guess, but uh, that was his comment. And then during the debate, during the debate uh, in South Carolina, again, he defended what he called Cuba's progress. And uh, I wanted to reach out to... Uh, to get uh, Silvio to tell us about what his family had experienced in this marvelous uh, progress of uh, Fidel Castro, what his family had had uh, had experienced, and what he thinks of uh, of Bernie's comments. So, Silvio, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to uh, to be with us. What do you feel? What do you think when you hear Bernie Sanders make such comments? Uh, of uh, of complimenting Fidel Castro. Yeah, well, first of all, of course, George, as always, thank you so much for uh, the, the time and the invitation and my best to, to you and, and to your audience. Well, you know, we have been, first of all, I was very offended by Bernie Sanders, but this kind of defense of Castro is the kind of defense of, of the Castro regime that we've heard for a long time from left-wingers. Uh, who basically tell you, well, look what he's done with literacy and look what he's done with health care. And, yeah, he's a little bit of a dictator, but look, look at all these wonderful things that he's done for the country. And we've heard that for a long time from people uh, really in the extreme left. Uh, that's what we would hear it from. But to hear it from a man who could very well be the nominee of the Democrat Party, and it looks likely, it's just absolutely twice as offensive. First of all, as a factual matter, let's put politics or Bernie Sanders aside for a second. As a factual matter, when Castro came to power in Cuba in 1959, Cuba had, depending on which statistic you want to look at, either a 76% literacy rate or 84 in another in another statistic. So eight out of every 10 Cubans knew how to read and write. So there was no need for Cuba to have 
an illiteracy campaign. This was just a lot of propaganda on the part of Castro, and he did it uh, knowing that left-wingers around the world would buy into the revolution or would buy into what he was doing, and therefore he could say, yeah, I've been a tough guy, but look, you know, I, thanks to me, people read, and thanks to me, they have clinics and they have health care and all of that. And it's simply not true. Uh, the, you know, the, the Cuban, what they like to call the Cuban Revolution, had nothing to do with literacy or health care. It was really more political corruption in Cuba and a great dissatisfaction on the part of people like my parents with what was happening in Cuba politically. So it was a, an opposition to, to, let's see, what was happening in Cuba politically, not literacy or health care. So he is wrong on Cuban history, and obviously he is wrong in, in trying now to defend the, what he said about Cuba by saying, well, but, you know, they, they made some gains here and they made some gains there. I would be interested in asking uh, Bernie Sanders, if he was in front of me, I would ask him, okay, so uh, then you must feel pretty good about Pinochet because he was a dictator, but he did great things for his country, which he did, by the way. Chile is uh, an economic powerhouse because of his policy. So uh, it offended me, to, 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 to answer your question, it offended me a great deal, but it really showed the kind of ignorance that we've been hearing from left-wingers about Cuba for such a long time, George. It's the kind of thing that offended my, you know, offended my late father more than anything else when you would hear people uh, justify what happened in Cuba. It has no justification. There was no justification for what happened in Cuba, George. You know, uh, it, it's very, very interesting to uh, talk about the uh, reaction uh, of people, of the Cubans, to uh, Fidel Castro 20, 30, 40 years after he took power, uh, of how many people continue to leave uh, Cuba. If it is such a great, uh, you know, workers' paradise, as Marx would say it, as Karl Marx would say, uh, how many people from Florida are are drifting or, or taking, uh, you know, uh, are, are taking rafts in the other direction? You know, right? Uh, it, it's amazing to me how um, how short sighted he is being. Yeah, I mean, really, it, as I said before, it, it's an ignorant comment because he doesn't know really what what the Cuban Revolution or what actually happened in Cuba, but. It is the kind of thing, as I said before, that we used to hear a lot from left-wing uh, people who would justify the revolution along the lines of saying, well, they got better health care and they got better education. But, but it isn't really true. There was, the revolution had nothing to do with literacy or with health care because those things were actually in pretty good shape uh, in Cuba. And, it, and again, all you have to do is study... Cuban history and, and see that those were not the problems, those were not the reasons uh, that Castro came to power. It's a very complicated story, and, and we don't really have time to go into it completely now, but all I can tell the listeners is literacy uh, had nothing to do with why why Castro came to power. Uh, nothing at all. And when I hear this stuff like this from Bernie Sanders, it just, it, it just amazes me that somebody in the U.S. Senate who's running for president would say something like that, George. It just absolutely amazes me. Uh, the The situation as it is now, Bernie Sanders, again, in the debate uh, in South Carolina, claims that he has gone, uh, he has continued to go down to uh, to visit uh, Havana and uh, that, that he is amazed by the progress. Now, um, I'm still, you know, and of course, everything, uh, everything that, uh, that is wrong with the Cuban economy, everything that's wrong with uh, uh, Cuba's, uh, all of Cuba's problems, of course, are due to America's uh, intervention or America's, uh, the, the, the sanctioning of Cuba. So uh, you, I mean, uh, there continue to be uh, Cubans that, that uh, migrate to the United States. Are they still uh, continuing to um, continue with the? I mean, are they telling the same stories as uh, as before? Yeah, I mean, they are. For example, there was recently, well, let's say about ten or fifteen years ago, a young man uh, was picked up uh, in you know on the Florida coast trying to leave Cuba, 
And a reporter went up to him and said, why, why are you leaving Cuba? Don't you have health care? Don't you have free education? And I thought this young man's answer was really profound. He said, well, there's more to life than getting sick or going to, free, to a free school. I want to have freedom. I want to have the freedom to read what I want to read. I want to have the freedom to criticize uh, the government. And especially here in the last few years, repression has gotten very rough because the situation in Cuba, the economic situation, has gotten rough. And any time the situation gets rough, the regime becomes more and more oppressive. But really, shame on Bernie Sanders for, for saying what he's saying. Shame on him for saying what he's saying because, as I said before, he doesn't really know the story. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. And I wish that Bernie Sanders... Would, would, uh, would simply say, look, folks, uh, I made a mistake. I thought that these things were happening and they were not happening. So my apologies to all of the Cubans in the United States uh, and in Cuba for what I said. I thought it was very interesting uh, today, George, that the Cuban government thanked uh, Senator Sanders for praising the revolution and their successes. I, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that that's good. that endorsement is going to work real well for him in Florida. Uh, when he's running against uh, President Trump, George. Yeah, wow. Incredible. I mean, it really, really is. It uh, is, yeah. Uh, Silvio, thank you so much. Tell the folks how they can follow your, your blog and your, uh, and your writings. Yeah, thank you so much, George. The easiest thing to do, I post an American Thinker, which is, of course, a great uh, website. Many, I'm sure many of your listeners uh, follow that. And then if you cannot find me in the American Thinker, or you can just uh, put Canto, C-A-N-T-O, uh, talk. So C-A-N-T-O, talk. And I have a blog where I put everything at, from American Thinker as well as some other things that I write as well as the podcast. So C-A-N-T-O, talk, is uh, how you'll find me internet in the Internet. But as always, George, thank you for giving me the this opportunity to talk about a topic that is dear to me. And I always think of my late father when I hear uh, stupid people like Bernie Sanders talking about Cuba. You got it, buddy. Yes. my uh, I mean, I cannot help but, but uh, my heart goes out to the Cuban people and folks like yourself that, uh, you know, fled that, uh, that communist regime and, and uh, are now, uh, I mean, we're all scared that this guy is for real. And uh, might might become president for crying out loud. <laughs> no, I know that that he could win is is something that is is incredible. That he could be nominated is even more incredible. That the Democrat Party would nominate a guy who's not even a member of the party that that is even more incredible. <laughs> so I'll just tell you one last thing, George. I think Bernie Sanders. This is no historical accident. I think Bernie Sanders is a consequence of two terms of Barack Obama driving the party way to the left. And uh, the fact that Nancy Pelosi permitted this crazy hysterical left to take over the House. Yep. And I think they've done a tremendous harm to, to the many, many Democrats that you and I have known over the years who don't subscribe to this hysterical left-wing nonsense, George. That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I can't help but think that, you know, whenever, whenever I hear the saying, you know, this is not your, your father's Democratic Party. <laughs> no, this is this is definitely not your father's Democrat party, that's for sure. Thank you very much. Have a good one, uh, Silvio. George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP, 930 AM radio, folks. Thank you. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of Texas, on KLUP 930 AM radio. 
And uh, we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Dan Lyman, from all the way from Europe. Uh, he's in Switzerland. And uh, he is going to, he gives us updates of what's happening in the world of immigration with the issue of immigration in Europe. And uh, so I wanted to reach out to him once again to get us an update and uh, find out what we should be learning from, uh, what the United States should be learning from Europe, from their experience, uh, because uh, some, of the, some of the nations have very lax, open uh, borders, while others seem to be clamping down and tightening up. So, Dan, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Uh, tell us, what is going on in the world of, uh, with, uh, with the issue of immigration in, uh, in Europe, and what can you tell us about it? Sure, great to be back with you, George. Yeah, uh, as you can imagine, we all at the moment have our eyes on the coronavirus outbreak, which can certainly be traced to uh, the way that our borders are being policed and who's being allowed in and out of our countries. So that really is the topic of the moment. But the the ongoing issues still continue. Uh, as we had talked uh, last time, there is a ton of pressure coming up through the Balkans uh, against uh, the Hungarian border. And also uh, down in Greece right now, there's uh, really a lot of unrest at this point because the government there is now trying to build basically permanent or semi-permanent, they call it, um, uh, reception centers for something like 40,000 migrants that are on five islands down there in Greece now. And uh, the, the locals there have had enough because they've had basically thousands upon thousands of migrants camping on their islands and they want them out. They don't want them being housed permanently there. So now you have clashes between the locals and the government there that are getting pretty pretty intense. And uh, you actually have local government down there on the islands is, uh, encouraging their uh, civil disobedience from their constituents against the federal government because they don't want the, uh, the migrants to be housed there uh, by the thousands uh, on any sort of permanent basis. They really want them gone. And, uh, of course, as I previously mentioned, the pressure on the Balkans continues to increase. The last time we spoke, we talked about a, a rush of a couple hundred migrants that actually burst through the border fence uh, in Hungary, and they were able to uh, beat them back, so to speak. So they've actually turned to some new tactics, which I will share with you as we progress through the conversation. Now, that's very, very interesting because it sounds very similar to the situation that um, the Mexican uh, politicians faced along the border, uh, the mayors of Mexican cities and communities, when all of a sudden all these Central Americans in their caravans uh, began camping out on their uh, on their uh, in their properties in their in their communities. I mean, uh, like in in Tijuana, all of a sudden the mayor of Tijuana, uh, you know, wanted people out. They wanted the uh, Mexican government to start. Uh, deporting uh, uh, the the migrants that were there. So, is this a, a similar situation that the uh, Greek uh, that the Greek government is facing? Because I mean, I would imagine that some of these islands are very very uh, 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 tied to the tourism, and the tourists are not going to like all of these migrants camping all over the place. Oh, absolutely. And some of these, I mean, Greece. If, if anyone has followed what's going on in Greece, I mean, economically, they've really never recovered from 2008 and things continue to be very, uh, very bad there. I mean, I don't, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Greece. I wouldn't necessarily call it a first world country at this point. Uh, it's, 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 um, they're hurting and, uh, to be dealing with tens of thousands of illegals, you know, clogging up their resources. And then also, you know, the locals there, they live very, very humbly on these islands. So for them to be sharing their space with these people, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty devastating for them, especially given the safety uh, risks that it poses. But, uh, you know, kind of going to your to your original point, it, it is similar in many ways. Um, the, the problem, though, for countries in Europe is that the EU and the UN put a lot of pressure on them to either accept the migrants or to allow them to pass through or to accommodate them a lot of the time. Whereas um, I don't know if that same pressure is being applied in Mexico. It, you know, it, it, it kind of is a, a slightly different situation. However, it is similar in that a lot of, uh, of, of the smaller European countries in the South and Mexico have both basically acted as, you know, just funnels into, the, the, in, into uh, El Norte, the United States, and also into uh, Western Europe. But now they're both kind of uh, seeing these bottlenecks that are building up at their doorsteps and in their country. So in that, in that respect, it is very similar. So how are these countries coping with it? You were going to tell us. I mean, uh, you know, the, the idea that, uh, I mean, your comment 
that uh, in Hungary they were beaten back. I mean, that's literally true. They were beaten back by the police. Uh, how are they? How are these countries responding to these uh, folks? And it's particularly interesting because, I mean, uh, Greek Greece has had such a traditional uh, an animosity towards Muslims, uh, you know, towards Turks in particular. Uh, I mean, it, it just it just it just sounds like it's a powder keg ready to go off. Yeah, it is a powder keg, and it has been going off in slow motion with bursts here and there, but, I mean, it can't go on forever. It, people really have had enough. But the way that, that things are being dealt with, uh, it's very interesting. Now, going back to the Hungary question, as we spoke last time, there was actually that, that rush on the border. Now, uh, they've actually, uh, they're attempting a new tactic uh, that is being actually organized by the NGOs. Those will be the non-governmental organizations. These are uh, globalist bodies that are typically funded by shadowy characters, you know, that you're George Soros is of the world, and often they're backed by uh, Brussels, and, you know, at least, um, at least politically, and, uh, you know, with, with the moral support from the, 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 the bodies, like a European Court of Justice will typically side with them when they're in their operations. But what they're doing uh, down here in the Balkans, uh, particularly in Serbia and Bosnia, is they're organizing marches uh, towards the Hungarian border. So recently they organized between 500 and 1,000 migrants were, were pre-organized by these groups in like a private social media chats and they basically rounded them up and they and they got them to march uh, quite a long march actually right up to the hungarian border which is very closely patrolled uh by the hungarian government and the and the military there and they basically staged kind of a propaganda campaign they used all the children and they moved them up to the front and they had them singing songs and basically um preying on the emotions of the border guards, trying to get them to open the, the borders and just saying that they just wanted a better life, essentially. So you had children up at the front, you had women pushed up to the front, uh, you had many of the men carrying flowers and saying that they were there in peace. So, And then they basically, uh, the NGOs called in a bunch of international media to cover this, and they tried to, to pressure uh, under this propaganda campaign the Hungarian government to open the doors. And when that was unsuccessful... Uh, the Serbian uh, government actually moved in and uh, did a pretty good job of gently dispersing the entire thing and bringing them all back to their camps. They tried to organize another one on Valentine's Day, another kind of like uh, peace and love march to the border, but that was actually broken up ahead of time when authorities caught wind of that. So they really are uh, just all guns blazing, whether it's uh, through violent means or through propaganda or using the mainstream media to put pressure on these countries to open their borders. And it's I hope that it's not effective, but it is very, very powerful uh, effort. Yeah, I mean that that's similar to the uh, to the caravans that were that have been organized in Central America and moved through Mexico up to the to the U.S. border. Uh, it, it, you know, when people are asked, "Well, who's organizing this?" nobody seems to know, but uh, you know, shadowy characters in the background. This is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. And you say that the uh, that the governments that the Serbian and the Hungarian governments were able to. Uh, to uh, stop them and to uh, to dissuade their their activities. Yes, one thing that the Hungarian government has they've moved from defending their own borders to basically doing an outreach program to their neighbors because Hungary, you know, it's not a wealthy country, but it's certainly more powerful and does it better than the, some of its southern neighbors like uh, Serbia, Montenegro. Um, so what they do is that you know they they offer assistance. They'll offer assistance in building border barriers. They'll send uh, police officers or um, border patrol down to assist because it's in their best interest to you know, stop these migrants from making their way north as far south as possible. So um, Serbia and Hungary have a great relationship in that regard, and Serbia has is doing what they can to, um, to, to keep the migrants away from the Hungarian border. Although at this point, um, we, you had sent me an article, they were estimating about 50,000 um, migrants have collected on the Balkan Peninsula in that article. I believe that was Al Jazeera. I have seen Hungarian officials who say that there, it's more like 100,000 are, are currently accumulated 
uh, on the Balkan Peninsula in various areas. Uh, a lot of them have built up in Bosnia as well. Bosnia is, is struggling. They're border towns. You have a town called Bihać, which has uh, made a lot of news now at this point because they're right near the border. And it's a town of approximately 40,000 people, certainly not a wealthy town. And they have at any given time five to 6,000 migrants camped out in their town as they make their way north or attempt to penetrate other neighboring countries. Uh, so, I mean, the situation is catastrophic at this point. It just hasn't necessarily gotten the international press's attention, except when, for instance, uh, Croatian police officers are accused of being uh, mean or violent with the with the migrants when they attempt to illegally penetrate the border. So the only the only people they get demonized are the ones that are trying to enforce the law at this point. That's incredible. I mean, that, that that's really really sad. That uh, you know, the law enforcement, the people who want to maintain the law and order, are the ones that uh, that are are criticized. Here in the last uh, in the last moment, in the last minute, uh, it, what uh, what what conclusions can we draw? What 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 do you think? Where do you think this is all going? What I see uh, happening and is, is unfolding right now in the United States and in Europe is you have unbridled waves of essentially millions upon millions of people that are and are always going to be trying to make it into uh, into North America, into the United States, into Canada, and into Europe. And frankly, I don't think that there is the political will to um, effectively... Mm, some people call it uh, Fortress Europe. I believe in, in, that, in that idea that Europe needs to fortify itself, the United States needs to fortify itself, and that means physical borders, that means with political will, keeping out everyone who doesn't belong there, but I don't know if that political will is there. But um, that's what, what I think that the, that the countries need to be striving for, because this wave of migration is not going to stop. Uh, you have the, the UN is projecting conservatively that Africa's population will reach 4 billion by the, the end of this uh, century. And they say, you know, the, the vast majority of them are going to want to move north, and that's inevitable, and we just have to deal with it. So uh, these, these, these massive um, government agent, uh, agencies such as the UNHCR, they will continue to try to facilitate migration into, uh, into the northern countries. And uh, if, if something is not done very, very soon, I, I'm not sure that anything will be – I think it will be too late at that point. So things have to be done super super fast oh, amazing that that's really really tragic and scary uh tell the folks how they can read uh your articles dan how they can follow you absolutely you can find me on twitter at citizen analyst and you can always find my work at infowars.com and europe.infowars.com great thank you very much we've been talking with dan wyman from infowars in europe and uh we thank you for taking time to be with us again 